0: Dal Jetta! What a score! What a score!
1: clean sheet has arsenal fans saying new season who dis this is the arsenal vision post match podcast my name is Elliot smith you can block me on twitter yankee gunner and we have a new season and we won we won away we kept a clean sheet 1-0 to the arsenal 1-0 to the 1-0 Ar- to the arsenal that's the song they were singing and it was accurate we kept the clean sheet we got the win Yang is off the uh, off the mark and it's going to be a great season i can just tell i i'm not sure we're going to go invincible but i i think you'd have to say it's a possibility uh we got a full boat today paul's here tim's here clive's here i gonna introduce him scott will be here down the line uh just some quick home keeping no that's not it housekeeping uh wednesday we will do a new series on patreon called uh what's it called that's it match spotlight deep dive. that's no that's it that's shh, keep the behind the scenes stuff behind the scenes it's called match spotlight ainsley maitland niles what we're gonna do is we're going to deep dive there's the there's the Thing that Paul said. Uh, on to the performance of a specific player from a game. So this week we are going to do a statistical video uh, chat deep dive on Maitland Niles' performance against Newcastle, which was quite brilliant. You'll be hearing some of that today. Also, Tim has got a new feature for patrons this season. He's going to take you along with him to the games, videos and photos of his day his journey away his trip to the stadium what it's like to go and be there so if you're someone who's always there uh you will be familiar with what that is like but if you're not someone who gets a chance to always go to the stadium i think that'll be a really nice way to feel a part of it so lots of new stuff coming up we also have uh, youtube shows for everybody that will be out this season and thanks for anyone who joined me in our blog on the season preview youtube video that's still up if you want it okay enough of me paul's on twitter at pausing my pants low pause mm. clive's on twitter at clive pafc hello clive hello hello. and tim's on twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And let me just say to everyone listening, we are so excited to have you along for a new season. We can't wait to to discuss it all with you to discuss this game and everything that happens, the highs and the lows. We love you and we appreciate you for being with us for another season. So, with that having been said, um, Clive, I think everybody is kind of looking to see what Unai Emery does differently this season. Mixed reviews on his first season. Some people felt okay about the things he did. Some people less okay. But... You know, will he go back three or back four? Will he be more willing to try the young players? We got a lot of answers right off the bat in the first day. He could have played Pepe. He could have thrown Luis right into the mix. He could have put Ceballos out there. He didn't. He played Nelson. He played Chambers. He played uh, Willock, Guendouzi, who, you know, I mean, I guess that one doesn't necessarily count. Maitland-Niles, he played the back four. He didn't try to protect them with an extra defender. Just in terms of the character from the coach to have the courage to do that and what it tells young players at Arsenal right now, how important was that lineup?
0: I thought it was great, what he did. And um, I do think a lot of it was really easily explained. I mean, as soon as the team came out, I just looked at it and went, okay, that's the team with the most minutes in its legs, and that's the team that's the fittest. And I didn't really look at what else everyone else was saying, but obviously I think there must have been some uproar because people come back to me. Oh, God, you said that. You're so reasonable. I'm thinking, well, that's the only thing to say, surely. I mean, given you know, we can't expect the names we wanted to see on the pitch when they've not done any sort of real significant training so for me the team was quite you know I, I didn't foresee the Ozil thing appearing and uh, with Kalashnik going out as well that took away the back four uh, sorry the back five option almost and so I thought it'd be a back four and I was just pleased to see the trust in the young players particularly um, particularly Nelson and Willock really you know, we know about but Nelson and Willock that's that's a big thing that that's literally saying i'm ramsey and iwobi you're now being replaced by two youngsters on the day and let's see what we can do with it and i thought it was really really positive rather than lean into a name which gives you comfort he leaned into the people that are the fittest in the best shape the sharpest that could be moulded into a team play and and really give us a sense of speed and resilience and security away from home. And uh, I've got to say, I was hopeful before the game, but afterwards, you know, as, as, as an Arsenal as we all are. It makes you feel pleased that there is a pathway for young players to get into the first team and play meaningful minutes in a Premier League opener, where when in these worlds, you know, this world of hysteria. You lose that first game away from home, and everyone's back on. They're back on. You know, back on the negative train. But really, he, he did it. It worked out. They all played well. They all played to a to a shape and a pattern. And um, yeah, I thought it was um, great to see.
1: Yeah, I I think it was fantastic. And I mean, look. On the one hand, you have to say some of these decisions were decisions he was kind of forced into at some level. I mean. It would almost arguably have been more aggressive to start guys like Pep and Ceballos and Luis, given the knock that they had, you know, Ceballos had taken against Barca and the relative lack of playing time. And Luis had just arrived. And so you could view these as sort of conservative picks. But I, I think, Tim, there is definitely a clear point with Emery that is a little different from Arsene Wenger. And that is that Arsene Wenger used preseason as a fitness exercise. And it was a chance to integrate youth into the team a little bit, but it didn't have a bearing on whether he planned to use them all the time necessarily. I don't think he used it as, as a true audition for a place in the squad. It does feel like the players Emery trusts in preseason have a chance to be part of the team in the regular season. I mean, that, that happened with Ganduzi last summer, and, and he featured a lot. And these players like Nelson and Willock um, and Chambers, certainly to a large extent, played quite a bit in preseason he showed trust in them then and he's showing trust in them now so do you think that this is an indication that these players maybe do stand to be regular features in the first team or once the new players are integrated do you think just naturally the the opportunities will dry
2: up um I, so I think it's kind of both um I think you're right I was thinking that while you know you and club were talking actually this kind of he, he you know he obviously does put a lot of stock in um in what he sees in pre-season which which is absolutely fine that's kind of what pre-season's for um but uh, but i was also i was kind of taken by his comments around callum chambers because if if anything i think the center of defense i i don't think he was ever going to play pepe because you know he's, he's barely even trained let alone played i, I think i would have been a, r- a really silly risk particularly when he's got you know, Reece Nelson and Mkhitaryan like we're not, we're not absolutely crying out for players there. And he had him on the bench, Ditto Lacazette, he's got a Bamiyang up front, you know, he, he he had enough there. Um, I don't think that was ever going to happen. And, and kind of Ditto with Ceballos really, Um, you know, Willocks had a really good preseason. It just made total sense to play him. But actually the one that grabbed me the most was, and I'm not, I'm not surprised he did it, but he spoke about Callum Chambers actually. And he said, you know, I think he said in his many words that Chambers and Sokratis have played pre-season. Um, they, you know, beginning to look comfortable together. They've not really done a lot wrong in pre-season. So, yeah, um, I played them. And, and, and that would have been the easy one, I think. I think it would have been easy even understandable to put david louise straight in because you've got a guy who all right he hasn't had pre-season with arsenal but he's had a pre-season and he's played lots of premier league games and he's played at st james's park countless times you know he he could have come into that team without too many troubles um but i, I think i think ultimately Emery was right to stick with that partnership for this game not least i, I mean i'm sure we'll come on to this to be honest not to like temper too much like the happiness with a clean sheet I think this is the worst attack in the Premier League um Newcastle's Um so actually including
1: c- some of the new players I mean M- Maxime is that his name or Maxime who, who came on yeah and yeah, jo- jo- who- jo- Joe Ellington or Joe Ellington I saw,
2: jo- I saw Ellington. your tutorial, tutorial earlier <laughs> Joe Ellington it's, it's Joe jo- Ellington Joe <laughs>
1: yeah that's just I, I don't hear the difference between what you're um, saying and
2: what I'm saying but okay <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, he scored seven goals for Hoffenheim last season. Like, I think he might be an okay player, but he's not much of a goal scorer. And, yeah, the, the guy they bought on, you know, seemed, he reminded me a bit of Adama Traore, actually. Like, mm. he was quite lively, but I wasn't actually sure he was going to do anything.
1: A- Almiron
2: um, was a little lively, too. I mean,
1: he's, he's kind of a, yeah. a lot to handle.
2: Yeah, he is, and he had that little dive for the penalty and stuff. But I, yeah, I, I I think they're completely toothless, Newcastle. I really do. I, I don't even. I don't think Almiron's that mm. all that. And uh, and so for our defence, if there's one away game this season to have a makeshift defence, you know, to the not makeshift, but you know, all at least three of that back four could change in kind of you know by Christmas at least um arguably maybe even all four of them but i I think socrates will stay there but but yeah like keep it keeping chambers i thought that was the key one because with the youngsters with willick and nelson i thought you know I, i said to you before kickoff right um he'll use his substitutions so some of the guys that are on the bench they'll come on and I think it would have almost have been pre-planned that that Willick and Nelson, or at least expected that they wouldn't last the whole ninety minutes. Mm. You know, I think he was very much thinking, well, look, if I need to put Lacazette, you know, if I need to put Pepe on after sixty and Lacazette after seventy, I can do that, and those are probably the players I'll take off. And I think he just thought, look, we should have enough whereby this should be enough to beat Newcastle anyway. And if we're 25 minutes to go, it isn't, we've got guys we can bring on, but that that's not going to happen with the center halves. You know, there, there wasn't really going to be anything other than injury. I think that would have like had like Callum chambers hooked or anything like that. So I think that was the really interesting one because Louise is physically ready, even if he's not fully acclimatized to Arsenal and center back is just not a place where you make a change. So for me, that was at least in the short term, a, a decent fi- uh, show of faith in Callum Chambers, and I, I, I think he repaid it as well.
1: Yeah, no, I, I absolutely do. And I mean, look, you can talk about Newcastle being toothless, but we made far more toothless teams look dangerous last season. Um, you know, I mean, it, it was not above us to make to make defending look hard against. The, the least impressive attacks in the league last season. So I'm I'm not ruling anything out. And it's a tricky day. You know, it was driving rain. I mean, you can probably speak to it more than I can, Tim. But yeah. that was a nasty day. And it, it it almost looked... You know the interesting thing? Sometimes attacking players like uh, wet pitches because the ball really skips and moves. It, am I right in thinking that there was enough water that it was starting to slow the ball's roll a little? Or was it skipping off it, the, the ground pretty a, good?
2: A little bit. But also it was really, really windy. Um, So I think that tempered some of the movement of the ball. I don't don't think, because of the way the stadium's built, the wind doesn't really whip in um, anyway, but it it was super windy. So I think any zip that might have been added to the ball by the surface was probably tempered a little bit by by the the gusts, should we say.
1: Yeah. Well, let's dive into the game just a little bit. And and, Paul, I mean, by dint of covering the performances of the young players, you'll obviously get your say on them, but do you want to make just a quick statement on on the fact that they got the chance today or yesterday?
3: Yeah, I think it was great. I think the lineup made lots of sense. I couldn't honestly see David Luiz coming in. Um, I mean, everything Tim says, as usual, is is spot on the money. But two things with him. He only trained for 30 minutes, I think it was on the Friday. I think I heard on his interview or, or on his gym training video something like, um, he hadn't got any sleep the night before the transfer I mean there was the visa thing I just think there was too much of a turmoil plus personality wise he's str- such a strong character and has a, such a defined way of playing I'd have been shitting myself as a manager to just drop him in in the middle of it because if t- things went tits up um, you got a very lively David Luis telling everybody how they ought to be defending at Arsenal uh, I just saw a lot of risk and as Tim pointed out, uh, perhaps the manager had judged the attacking threat was not going to be our biggest issue from, from Newcastle. I think the other interesting thing on the Chambers part of it was that he went, he played a very conservative old-style uh, centre-back role, when you consider that to his Cruyff turns in the box in pre-season. Uh, you know, he, he hoofed it clear quite often and did conservative passing, kept it kind of nicely locked down at the back. And it was a very different Chambers uh, approach to the game that worked well for us. I mean, Socrates did the more adventurous play. Chambers kept it simple made us look secure. Um, so I think it was a very good day for that partnership and for Chambers, and from that, we could build a little confidence overall. Uh, Rhys Nelson was another one where there was a lot of discussion on his performance. And uh, as you said, we got Ainsley, Maitland, Niles for the spotlight coming up. But the the really contentious one for many people was Willock. Was he the best man on the pitch? Or was he really quiet and barely saw the ball uh, in a crowded uh, space of the pitch, and uh, I lean to the latter. I don't. Yeah. I didn't think it was. I didn't think it was a brilliant performance from him. I think he showed a few things that reminded me why I have great hope for him. Uh, but I think it's a really tough game. Actually, it's a really tough game to assess almost anybody on, given the the five man midfield, how turgid the first half, how 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 cautious we were. Yeah. Um. So I think that's got to temper everything. Whether you think somebody was great or terrible. This game is, is an absolute context, and, it, I mean, you always need more than one game, but this game in particular was just this weird creation. Yeah. The, uh, the second half was actually yeah. beginning to open we'll, up a little bit.
1: Well, we'll definitely get to the second half,
3: <laughs> I promise. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just, <laughs> just saying it was literally a game of two halves, but the first one, it's very hard to e- extract anything authoritative on, it, on almost anybody's performance, I think, mm. but we will.
1: Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely come to everybody's performance authoritatively. Uh, well, let me ask you this just quickly, Paul, because I I sort of think that there are two players that wouldn't necessarily be the ones you'd most want to talk about in this game but deserve it because I think that the conversation around their performances is maybe yeah. skewed from the reality, and one of them is Mkhitaryan. Mm-hmm. Um Definitely a part of that game of two halves issue that that you discussed. I mean, clearly had a superior second half to the first half. I think the reason that Mkhitaryan is so difficult for me to analyze is he gets so many easy things wrong. And having Mm. a player on the pitch who gets so many easy things wrong is bad for many teams, but for a team that has defensive frailties, you just can't have a guy constantly turning the ball over. I read that he had 15 turnovers. He lost possession 15 times. Was it in the first half? Three times as many as anybody in the entire game. That puts your defense under pressure. That gets counterattacks. That, that has everybody flowing back to their own goal, and that's dangerous. By the same token, he sent Yang through for two good chances. He arrived on the end of a, a good move after Willick did a nice job to recover the ball, having lost it. Got the ball into the channel to Nacho. Nacho gave it to and He blasts over from close range. He never quite got the end product right, but his movement and his involvement in attacks – Mm-hmm. always has a, a direct and progressive influence. And so for you, do you think that the, the negative criticism of him is warranted given the mistakes or over the top given what he tries to do in the attacking third?
3: Uh, well, at the moment, it's, I lean towards the mistakes. The, the problem is this team desperately needed somebody like Mikatarian doing what Mikatarian was at least attempting to do. He's, to me... I mean, they're a bit different, but he's so much like Ramsey in what what he brings to a team Um, and in how he builds, gets involved, speeds the play, quick passes, running ahead. You know, when we say there's nobody else who will score goals apart from the front two before we got Pepe, actually there was Mkhitaryan and he was on about the same goals and assists race as Ramsey and a reasonably informed Mkhitaryan is a pretty good Ramsey substitute. And that's what he was trying to do in this game. And like he was God awful in terms of completing simple or moderate passes, but he was, he's still, while uh, his execution's terrible at the moment, uh, he's trying to do all the right things. He's, he's playing kind of, he's bad on the, on the poor, on the simple passes, but he's also trying to play those trickier passes, drive us forward uh, getting stuck into the game to move us forward, in, increase the the rate at which we pass. Unfortunately, he just he was a giveaway machine, especially in the first half. So, um, but he, lo- you know, he's had a few moments in preseason and in this game where he reminds you what he can be and could be when he hits some form. Mm. Of course, towards the end of last year, he ran out of fizzle too. But there were a couple of months when you began to get the Mkhitaryan concept and what he brings to the team. I, I don't know if he's going to get back to that level, but um, he's kind of a player who started last year slowly, um, then kicked in, and when he gets some form, I mean, he really drives us on. He, he He's a jack-in-the-box, a joker, makes things happen, and you need players like that. Yeah. Uh, I think it's also good to have a, you know, we'll need some players who are willing to share time, and Mikatarian can do that. He can also put in long long stints you know he can play many 90 game 90 minute games pretty much back to back yeah he was and still so, running
1: hard at the 90th minute i mean he he is in, in impressive shape all things considered
3: yeah and i think if he can i don't think i think we should make sure it doesn't become a little toxic between us and him uh i know nobody's listening to me but he could become I, i'm not a,
1: are you still no, talking no. okay
2: okay
3: good. yeah yeah he could become an important player to us Uh, albeit not an automatic starter all the time, if he can just get up a little further in terms Mm. of the level he brings or coming on at 70 minutes or 60 minutes or he hits some form and he starts. So um, I still have hopes that he can have a significant contribution. But yeah, this was such a frustrating game to watch him, especially because he was just contributing to the fact that we couldn't drive ourselves forward and create anything.
1: Yeah, and I mean, look, I I think... There is definitely a point where players who make some mistakes but add a lot to the attack have value. Like Alexis Sanchez. Alexis Sanchez was never as bad as people pretend he was even at his worst at Arsenal. He was never that bad because he always added so much in terms of expected goals and assists or just actual goals and assists if you prefer. Um, But like, there is a point at which... You you're making more mistakes than the team can tolerate, and it overcomes whatever positive influences you have on the attack. So you look at Mkhitaryan, yeah, he he sent Aubameyang in twice. He got on the end of a good move and and had a chance to score a goal, and you know that's great. It would have been better if he had actually scored the goal. But like when you have seventy three percent passing, and you've given the ball to the other team fifteen times. That's probably where you have to draw the line. Now, to be fair, Joe Willick also had 73% passing, and we can come to him in a minute. But, Clive, there's another player who divides opinion and who's coming in for some criticism in this game, and he's a player that I'm actually prepared to be more aggressive defending in this game. When I watched the game the first time, I had my usual Granite Shaka reaction. Uh, Here he goes, giving the ball away. Oh, look, a dumb yellow card. Typical Granite Shaka. When are we going to move away from him? Because I saw the things I look for when I watch Granite Shaka. But then I watched the game again, trademark Paul, and
4: mm-hmm.
1: I I saw a gorgeous uh, ball, like a wrapping long ball, through ball type thing at the end of the first half, right into Aubameyang on stride, who who uh, struck shot sweetly to be saved by the keeper. I saw <clears throat> I saw him make numerous good progressive passes. I saw him con- control possession later in the game, and I have to admit he he did a lot more than I thought. So. Since I don't really know anything, can you tell me the right way to watch Granite Shaka and and how you felt about this performance and his influence on in our midfield?
0: Well, yeah, big, um, big up to you for actually noticing that he had a great game. Uh, great great maybe too much of a a word, but he played really, really well. So I think the, the questionnaire is best answered by what's going on in our centre midfield. Uh, I noticed that Leon and funny enough I was in the North Bank End at the Emirates Cup, and I could see Arsenal progressing down the pitch, almost like a with a magic square in a box type box shaped midfield. And what was really noticeable is there were two in the pivot, and two ahead, and the two ahead were receiving the ball a lot back to goal. And there's a definitive pattern: so they used to pop it forward, get it back, it's not quite there, create a bit of space, pop it forward, then that. Attacking midfield, where it be Nelson or Mkhitaryan, would turn and drive, and everything would accelerate. Whereas last year I thought we went into wide areas much quicker. We're looking for the overloads, looking for triangles in wide areas, and we were cut back FC. This year we're progressing higher down the middle. Fullbacks are higher, and basically then we're going into wide areas. But then we're getting the ball across quicker, much sharper, rather than tip tapping the corner. So this progression, that's that's changed Shaka's role. He's no longer the single guy at the base, doing everything, being the target. He's got two of them there, left and right. So him and Gwendozi sharing that pivot role, left and right. And Mikatarian and Nelson in the box ahead. And Willock being what I call an active running 10, going everywhere, trying to create triangles and overloads, right? So... I really liked what they're doing from a pattern perspective. And if you notice on the, when you watch a game a second time, how many tackles that Shaka made in behind Monreal. So his duty was to progress from that left-hand side, but also cover the fullback. And then you think, okay, so now you've you've shared his role. He's not the target for the press. Newcastle were crap. Tim's absolutely right. They played a 3-5-1 you know, 3511 rather than a 352, Almiron buzzing around like a wasp and basically being just swatted aside. And Joel Linton, who wasn't as strong or as powerful as I thought he would be, the uh, current chain. C-
1: Clive, it's a Joe yep.
0: Linton.
1: Okay, I sorry, yeah. yeah.
0: Mm. But my all the listeners would expect me to butcher that, and I have just done it. <laughs> right? So what <As> um, I'm <laughs> saying. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Tim is not even trying to save me. Right? So no, basically, <laughs> so basically, Tolington. Um, Joel, uh, basically, right. I thought it'd be a bit quicker over the top. But you know, it was one it was two versus one and, and Chambers or Socrates could splash in one drop in behind. They felt confident they could be outrun, so there's no problems there. So I do like what we're doing in centre mid. So let me project a bit further forward. So Shaka, we know what he can do and what he can't do. It'll be interesting to see how Torreira fits into his shape. Because that's not really his role. Progressing the play from deep. That's gonna be interesting. But I tell you who will fit into his shape. I'll tell you this right now. And that this is Pepe. He's one of his key strengths. Uh, we've all seen a YouTube. We've all seen him running through lines and and slotting things at 100 miles an hour and great penalties and free kicks. But I'll tell you, I watched a YouTube of him playing against PSG last year. And his ability to receive the ball back to goal, manipulate the ball, roll out of pressure, and then spring inwardly is Almost his number one skill, receiving it, standing still, holding it on his safe side and then accelerating from a standing start. He absolutely fits that box Coming off the side, This is the new trend, right? You roll. They say you roll off the sides into midfield, create an overload. You don't even have a centre forward. You roll. You refill. You roll into the central areas. You build play and you go into wide areas. Second phase and you dominate from there. It's all about that first pass through the line at pace, spotting it quickly, and those forward players have got to create a pathway to receive it. And all the Newcastle players got to do is try and stop the entry pass. And they couldn't do it. Nelson had touches. Mkhitaryan had touches. They were um, okay. Nelson was more secure on the day. So Arsenal fans are thinking, Mkhitaryan—he lost it so many times. Nelson was much better. But actually, there's a pattern here that we can now project forward with better players, more consistent players, and maybe more spectacular players for our home game. And we can—I can really see what we're trying to do. I can really see, and it's interesting. If he sticks with this, I've seen it twice now. So it'd be interesting to see—is this the new way we're going to play? But if you suddenly put at the top of that box, if you put a Bamiyang and Pepe at the top of that box, that's how—and they turn around. That's a whole new ball game, and they're laying it into Lacazette as a wall pass and getting it back at speed. So you can start to see where we're going, and I—and then I can also start to see why Granite Shackup will be in this team a lot because entry passes into that part of the pitch is his trick. But now we're surrounding Mm. him with somebody else that can maybe do some of the receiving, personality, and the running around him. So he's only got half the job to do what that he was doing last year. I thought the whole construct was really interesting.
1: Yeah, and I mean the one thing I'll say too is you are at some level at the mercy of how the other team wants to play. And to your point, they packed the midfield. Newcastle packed the midfield. They really just wanted to disrupt the game in central spaces. And they did that. And we didn't have a lot of access. I mean, if you look at our leading passing combinations, it's Socrates to Chambers. It's Chaka to Monreal. It's Gendouzi to Maitland-Niles. It's Chambers to Socrates. I mean, we did a lot of U-shaped passing back there as we tried yep. to find space. And to be fair, I think maybe Willick, if you wanted to bring, in, bring him in for any criticism, it would be... I don't know that he's a 10 necessarily. And in this game, he sort of struggled to be able to find that open pocket of space to drop into those spaces to give Shaq and Ganduzi a progressive pass to make. And so more often than not, they had to go to the fullbacks or back to the center back. So it took us a little while to pick that apart. And of course, getting a goal helps because then the other team has to come out a little more. The space starts to open up and we did find some openings after that. So, you know, all in all, I think it's fine. Tim, I think, look, we're 27 or so minutes into this. And I think two of the stars of the game, Genduzi and Maitland-Niles, haven't gotten a mention yet. So let, let's talk Maitland-Niles now for a bit. Now, obviously, midweek, we're going to do a deep dive on him in our match spotlight. But I, I think the one thing that is clear to me in Maitland-Niles is that he he feels very confident with the ball at his feet driving play forward. And whatever you think of him defensively, and I thought he made a couple very, very good interventions, um, stand-up tackles, and, and was switched on the whole game. The The... Pace he has to cover ground that we saw in the way the goal was made. Being switched on, seeing the opportunity, accelerating, intercepting. And then a really classy, nice ball right into, into Aubameyang over the defenders and in space. The attacking side of his game has really come around. And and I was just really, really impressed with this game. I, I know that there are still questions about him defensively. But for me, I think we're seeing a player that's starting to show that he he is going to have a first-team a, a first-team career at fullback, whether that's behind Bellerin or even pushing Bellerin, I think too early to say that. What did you like about his game against Newcastle?
2: What What I really liked about the way he set the goal up. We We know um, because you know he's he's a midfielder. We know he's technically accomplished. Once he got into that position, and I, I was behind the goal that Aubameyang scored at, you know, in about the fifteenth tier, so I had, had like a really good literal bird's eye view of it but well, like once he got into that position i never doubted he'd get the pass because i, I know that he's technically accomplished and know he's good with the ball at his feet i know he's he's pretty rapid but what i really liked was and you said it yourself that he was switched on that actually when you look at it it would have been so easy for him not to go for that pass because it was it was it was like slightly undercooked. It wasn't terrible. I think most of the time that pass just kind of makes it through and your fullback just goes, no, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to sit here, not get exposed. And I'm, you know, just going to sit here and do my job. And, uh, and absolutely no, nobody would have said a thing if it have done that. Um, it would have, completely escaped our notice um if you know Maitland-Niles just stays in his position lets that slightly under hit pass go and we never even realize the fact that, that there's an opportunity there um so that that's what i liked most that he was so switched on and and that he was you know he he's always he's always been calm but like you know Sometimes he's like, do you know the expression? So laid back, you'll fall over.
1: Yeah, <laughs> um,
2: it, 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 That that's what happens. Sometimes he kind of literally falls over because he's too relaxed. But this time it was switched on after burners on and none of the Newcastle defence realised it either. And what, what's wonderful about this goal is it's just the kind of goal we never score. Where we we create the transition, we create the turnover high up, and we hit them you know with three or four touches and it's in the net. It's just the type of goal we just haven't seen enough of over the years. and and you know it's it was really, really enthusing that he was a big part of that because you know you wouldn't necessarily say that 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 that's his strength. He's like you say, he's a good stand-up tackler um knows how to use his physique quite well good technically but you know forcing turnovers and spotting um you know spotting things before they happen in in this context it was great for us in an attacking um from an attacking point of view but that if he can keep doing that that bodes really well from a defensive point of mm. view because that also means that you spot danger as well as opportunity. And that's what I want to see from him. I want to see him spotting that, you know, on the edge of his own box or in our, you know, in our half when, when things are looking a bit hairy. And, and the thing is about Maitland, I think he's quite inconsistent. And um, do you remember last season, he had that absolute stinker against Everton yeah. and you thought, Oh my God, it, he's finished. And then I think maybe we played Rens in the next game and he was brilliant. And, you know, I, it's finding consistency for him. Now, I, I thought he was excellent in this game, but we know he has to play for the next couple of months pretty much every game. We know that at the moment. And and that's what I really want to see from him. I really want to see him turn up again against Burnley and have a brilliant game against Burnley and a brilliant game against Liverpool. That That's what he's missing, I think. I think he's got bags of potential. Um but I just don't think he puts it together on a regular enough basis yet. Yeah. But this was a good, good sign.
1: One thing I do like, though, is that he's a stand-up tackler. He doesn't go to ground. He very, very, very rarely goes to ground, and nothing drives me crazier than players that have pace who go to ground early because it's like stay on your feet. You know, if you miss the challenge... You'll, your pace will bail you out. You can recover. You can get back into position. Once you go to ground, you're out of the play. So, like, I like that he does that stand-up tackling. In the 85th minute, he had a phenomenal tackle at the end line that you can go back and watch. Just really good, clean tackling in the box, too. No danger. Um, he also had a play. You know, Kolasinac, love him or hate him, the one thing you know is he gets to that ba- uh, that end line and just smashes it into into the, the first defender. But, like, there was a moment where Maitland-Niles got the ball in central midfield. I don't know why he picked it up there. It might have been an a, a interception, actually. But he collects the ball in central midfield and sees the open spaces on the right flank. So he drives all the way to the end line, and he gets followed. And he fakes the cross, remember? And he puts the guy on his ass and then just calmly steps inside him and, and slides a cut back to the penalty spot. I think it was the one where whoever he cut it back to tried to backflip across the back flick, across the box, like a, a Cruyff turn type flick. Yep. I, it,
3: it was I think that was Nelson. Was
1: yeah, 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 yeah. And but I mean just really good composed play to realize like, I've got this guy on skates. He's gonna you know, I'll hit the brakes, he'll fly right by. It was a brilliant moment. And so I you know, I think I think it was a really nice a really nice reminder that, that Maitland-Niles is more than just physical ability and athleticism, but that he, he does have a head on his shoulders and he does does understand circumstance. Clive, I'll let you jump in here just for a second because, I mean, to you, I mean, what I saw, me personally, is that we inverted our fullbacks to stop the counter. Is that something that you saw too?
0: <laughs> see, Paul, see what happens in my life? <laughs> so, Yeah. So yeah, fair enough. I mean, am if I wrong? Listen, I,
1: that's just how um, I see football, Clive. I don't yeah, see it differently.
0: Well, mate, I'm just yeah. I think you absolutely spot on. Oh, so thank, thank you. So the basically, if you <laughs> listen to, I tell you what, I picked up on. If you listen to the uh, five lives, there's a five live media day, and they spoke to Granite Shacker about what you hope to see defensive this year, and he kept saying about being compact and compact. It's obvious to me, Arsenal have worked on their shape and distances in the centre of the pitch, and and the position that. Maynard Niles has taken up was far narrower. So rather than when you have the ball, the mantra is you make the pitch big. They actually kept our distances small. So if the ball's on the other side, we're in good possession and Monreal's got it. As the opposing fullback, what you do is you, you roll out to the other side and you try to stretch teams. But Arsenal were a bit more cautious and they kept narrower and they kept him there as a, he's obviously got great recovery speed. So if Newcastle were to spring down the middle, we were in, we had bodies around. Did you notice, I'm sure you did, how many counter fouls we made on the counter attack, Man City style? Did you notice that? Early fouls. Okay, we got booked for all of them. But early <laughs> fouls. Yeah. When you, and Newcastle didn't, by the way. You we're know, early fouls in the build-up. Bang. Exactly what other teams do to us and do and don't get booked. We were doing it. Lots of players did it, and we broke them down, so they couldn't get momentum and ways of attack. And I thought it was clever. I thought there's a real defensive strategy in this game, and real offensive pattern that we haven't really seen consistently. And I've seen it twice. I keep saying it. And this, I wonder if this is it, because we start when Mateo Niles is tucked in, just to the right of centre midfield. That's not a foreign position for him. That could be his best position many will feel, and maybe a tip of a a diamond on the right-hand side. And
3: shows very comfortable at that, too, on the other side.
0: Very comfortable. And so they didn't scream to the corner flags unless they felt it was the right decision to go there. And when they went there, they were supported from behind. So I do think there's been some messages and some learning and some video sessions. Mm. It wasn't exciting, but... Just project forward to what we have this month with Liverpool I think, and Spurs. We're going to need that shape. We're going to need that build-up. That's, that's, that's good stuff. Right, so if we can keep building on this, it's, I think it's a great building block, I really do.
1: Yeah, well said. And and by the way, Clive, in the future, if you have something that like you saw in the game, just so that I don't repeat it and it doesn't become redundant, just put it in the Skype chat and then that way, you know, I'll, I'll know that it's something you want to talk about and we, we won't wind okay, up saying okay. the same thing. Uh, okay, Paul, let's do this. Since we're doing a whole pod just on Maitland-Niles, can we mm-hmm. move on to Ganduzi? mm mm-hmm. um, So, look, I, I fully admit that I saw Shaq ex- Shaka's game a little wrong. I fell victim to confirmation bias and that it was a better game than I I anticipated. And actually on second uh, viewing. I
3: fully admit you did too.
1: Thanks, thanks, Paul. But the one player who looked the same to me on second viewing as he did on the first is Ginduzi. He just bossed this game at times. And I, I, I thought he was a little slow in the beginning, and mm. and I thought everybody was. And I think part of it is he's such a progressive player that I think he looked frustrated and impatient with the way the midfield was clogged and he didn't have room to operate, but he started to suss it out and figure it out and there was a great ball. Oh, I put it on Twitter. It was late in the game. Might have been like 82nd minute. He's on the right half space in midfield and he's under pressure from two players on either side of him and he's got his head up and he plays a nice over the top ball into Aubameyang running in behind and the ball just bounced a little high, like took a weird high bounce and Aubameyang couldn't quite get his leg to it before the keeper who was coming out got there but he's got a a feel for that over the top ball which I think could be so so useful for Aubameyang as teams start playing higher lines you know against some of the better teams and and especially as the game is played more on the counter I think he's showing you really has a feel for that this this is a game he plays 90 minutes start of the season after not playing a huge preseason in the rain at Newcastle and he looked as good as anybody on the pitch I thought just 20 years old. It's it's such a moment for him. Was he potentially, him or Maitland-Niles, but was he potentially man of the match for you?
3: Uh, yeah, I think so. Because, uh, look, I love Maitland-Niles, and we'll talk about him on Wednesday. Um, but if you pull out, like, two good moments from Maitland-Niles, he, he had a pretty good game with some solid defending, and he stayed switched on. Whereas you pull out Genduzi's two best mo- moments of the game and maybe it's the, no, the nature of the, their roles, but I, I thought Gendouzi all through the game, uh, especially when, you know, our midfield finally had a little bit of a chance to move the ball around. I mean, he's always got this ability in class and he can do a part of everything. Um, I did. I mean, we really struggled to get something going in the first half and so it was frustrating and, and you could be critical of of Ganduzi or any of our midfielders in the first half, just trying to progress the ball. But that middle area, with you know three or five midfielders, if you want to call it that, uh, a bank, and then three centre backs behind it. I mean, it was just a log jam in that area, and he, we all toiled manfully to get the ball going. What was strange was there was no progression be, really uh, between the two midfielders. So. Chaka and Gunduzi themselves didn't really put in a lot of passes to each other, which is really weird. But it just tells you how blocked the middle of our of the field was. So most of the things Gunduzi did were uh, knocking it back and forward to Maitland-Niles or Mkhitaryan, um, which is kind of where the frustrations come in because you have that block midfield, you have Mikatarian spilling it, and so a lot of what Gunduzi did in the first half was all for naught. Um, But he does have a really good partnership building with Maitland-Niles, which is likely to be his side uh, going forward. Though they did, him and Chaka switched for a little while in the second half. Chaka, or Gendouzi went on the left-hand side. And I know uh, one of the analysts thinks Gendouzi is much better suited to being on the left of of the midfield, especially when dropping to receive the ball. I don't see it myself, but it's something to watch out for. Uh, Whereas with Chaka in the field, he's always going to be, Typically on the right here, I, I thought he was very good, but again, just the struggles in interpreting this game, the second half things open up, uh, he can start using his movement. I mean, he, he is a nomad. He, he tends, he doesn't really like to sit back. Um, he's not Willock driving forward, but he likes that ability to go with the ball. Um, Sometimes, though, I think we're a little static because him and Chaka both kind of like to sit deep and mirror each other. Um, And this was a game where we kind of needed somebody between the lines, and we were pretty conservative in the first half between him and Chaka. So, great, but but between the two of them, they didn't really have an answer for us in the first half, and maybe it was just Mkhitaryan spilling the ball the whole time.
1: Mm, Yeah, I mean, nearly moments that (laughs) a lot of which were thanks to Mkhitaryan just getting his feet confused unfortunately but yeah
3: yeah and I can I add one other quick point which is Willock struggled in the first half we know that um but it's amazing uh, and when you have those two players Mkhitaryan and Willocks struggling uh Willock largely because the whole area was just uh, weighed down with with opposition players but it's amazing what we expect when we criticize Willock's performance it's literally his first ever (laughs) Uh, outing as a number 10 in the Premier League uh, against uh, a, fu- uh, a 3-5-2 low block and the one area of, of the pitch they were determined to lock down and yet, you know, we're still pretty critical of his performance based on what mm. I've seen. But
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Tim, I guess just speaking of Willick really quickly, to me, I think what this game highlights is that we probably still have a way to go as observers of the game in really appreciating that off-the-ball skills are skills, right? I mean, we're we. it's very easy to spot when someone has a great game on the ball. But, you know, it's that, that whole sort of canard about Ozil, you know, oh, if you can't see what he's doing, you don't understand football. Like, there's sort of a truth to it, though, because sometimes what mm-hmm. Ozil does better than anybody else has nothing to do with him being on the ball. It's how he finds space, how he drops in. I mean, we've had a lot of midfielders down the years. I think Arteta was good at that, just sliding and moving and shuffling his feet and getting into the space to be available for his teammates. And... Maybe that's the part that Willick doesn't have yet on the ball. He can drive. He's strong. He's progressive off the ball. Didn't really seem to find the pockets. I actually thought Nelson had a slightly better game than he did. Um, Found space had some tidy play, a lot of which ended at the feet of McTiernan, unfortunately. But do you think that Willick and granted, I don't think that Willick is necessarily a 10 anyway, but do you think that his, his biggest problem in this game was just not being able to find the spaces to be available? Very, very low touch. For, for a midfielder on a team that had 60% possession.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think part of that was exacerbated by the way that both of the wingers played. <clears throat> so what, and again, this is where I think we're really starting, you know, to see again, the quote unquote Emery ball, the kind of, he stuck with the 4-2-3-1 for most of preseason. And I think that's what we saw here. And, you know, one of one of the kind of, um, key facets to it at other clubs is he likes his wide forwards to come in field quite a bit, and that's what they both did. You know, Nelson and Mikatarian, they they weren't out on the touchline, um, and and I think it's going to take it takes time as well to get that kind of to get that rhythm and get that sense of which winger comes in and which winger stays out because they both spent a lot of time quite central, particularly Mkhitaryan kept coming in again and again into that kind of number ten position and and actually picking up really good pockets of space. It's just his execution was very bad on the day. But Nelson did it a lot as well. And not just in Newcastle's half, in our half. You know, Mikatarian and, and Nelson really kind of squeezed in um and became a a much more compact midfield unit. Um, and, and that can create problems if you're playing as the most advanced player in a central midfield because suddenly you've got guys coming into your space, basically. So it's difficult to know where to stand and where to run when there's just guys kind of darting in off the flanks into and your space. And they spaces. bring their
3: markers with them, Tim, as well. So yep. you end up having extra midfielders and centre-backs in your space.
2: Ex- exactly, exactly. Which is, you know, the, the whole point of that is it's to the avail of players in other areas of the pitch but yeah exactly it means you're playing in a very very crowded space both with your own teammates and and with the opposition as well so I, th- I think maybe he struggled with that a little bit I think we saw that with Sabio's as well when he came on I think he struggled in in a similar kind of uh, struggled is probably overstating it but you know just getting used to that where do I stand? Because where I think I should be standing, I've got a teammate there. So where, where do I go now? I, th- I think that's quite, probably quite a difficult thing to work out, and it takes time. And you're and you're right, Elliot, to say that if anyone can do that, probably Ozil can, because Ozil's whole game, weirdly, is kind of built on running away from the ball and the action and finding where the space is and i think if you've got ozil there he's re- he really likes running laterally out to the flanks uh, that that's his whole thing so mm. i think if he's playing instead of willock then you've got Mikatarian coming in ozil going out but i don't think that's really a feature of willock's game at this point so um, I, I think maybe he had some understandable struggles in in that respect. To be honest with you, and I, one of the things he did really well in preseason season was kind of running beyond the striker, but it didn't seem like there was as much call for that in this game.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the the thing for me when I when I watch this game back is the first half really had a lot of players trying to figure out what they were looking at with Newcastle in front of them, and and that. Uh, congested midfield, and then also players just settling into being in the premier League. I mean, you have a lot of guys out there in chambers, still Maitland Niles to some ex- extent still Ganduzi who 's only twenty Nelson you know a lot of guys out there who are just trying to adjust and not let the moment overwhelm them it's it 's the first game of a new season it 's away the weather 's terrible you're in a, you 're know, you 're at a tough ground, admittedly not a full ground at at, at its absolute pomp but then by the second half and and once we took the lead, I thought. There was a little more ability to express ourselves in terms of the space that was available on the pitch. It was always going to be tricky. I, Clyde, before we move on to talk about Abamyang and then and wrap up with some of the substitutes. I mean, as far as the way we played and you know trying to find spaces in midfield and and some of the challenges that I, I thought Willick faced, for example, you know, do you do you think that the way we played made it a little more difficult to progress the ball through midfield generally?
0: I thought we progressed the ball nicely. What I didn't think we did enough of, I didn't think we were brave enough to penetrate in the final third. I still felt we had a false control. Maybe that's a nervous fan at me at Neil Neil wanting us to just go and get a goal so I can relax. But I just feel we just we played the game in a bit of a playerish way, just keeping the ball, moving it around, building play, tip tap tip tap. I, I understand we we are practicing our shape, practicing our distances. By being compact, you know, the key thing is, even from your, your left back to your right winger, it's almost like a swarm of bees moving around in, in a lump, keeping those distances really small. You've got to be fit to do that. And we had our fittest team, and we were able to be compact shape-wise that's great. But then when you have the ball, the trick is to expand. I didn't think we expanded aggressively enough. I didn't think we drove enough. I think, um, you know, I'm not saying it's Willock's fault. I thought he did fine. I thought he cut off passing lanes. I felt more secure with him there. I thought I couldn't. I just couldn't take my eyes off him. His ability to move and run and 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 just create disruption. Uh, come on, guys. If you watched Aaron Ramsey do that for last season, you know he just creates disruption. And well, gets six he goals. had
1: that play right. He he lost the ball and then he sprints about 15 yards to hook, slide, tackle the ball away to start the play that led to McEachern's. Um, blast over from yeah. a good position. That that comes from yeah. Willock recovering the ball.
0: Yeah, you know, can you remember what Ramsey did against Tottenham? We Just just tackling somebody, going to the pass, quick release to a forward, you know, Lacazette goal. It's, it's just, it's, you have different types of 10. I noticed yesterday that Spurs played Lamella at 10. So they had a pressing, running, aggressive 10, and, you know, they had Ericsson in behind him late in the game. You know, so it's like there are different ways to do it. Sometimes, you know, Klopp always says your pressing 10 is like your playmaker. Again, what happened? We, we transitioned to goal. We, we nicked it. We drove. I think Willett was put on the pitch to create those transitions. It didn't happen for him on the day, but he had a great one hour. And that's a perfect way to use a youth player. Fit, quick, sharp, ready to play one hour go and smash it go and tear them up don't worry about execution just make sure we're in the game drive 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 move people around disrupt and that'll create space for the killer up front which we have mm. I- i'm telling you elliot i'm telling you mate you this is good this is good if we can be more aggressive in the last third and we've got those players sit on the bench but so it's not a problem. If we can be more aggressive and a little bit more sure in the last third, we all know about the accuracy of certain touches, but the base is there. I'll, I'll tell you, man, I'm, I'm really excited to build on this.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we have a whole season of it, Clive. So I assure you, you will get your chance. I, I think, uh, it, Paul, before I come back to you just real quick, cause I I'd wanted to ask Tim about this. I mean, um, Tim, I just, I want to know if you feel from the fans you go to the ground with the, you know, the away fans, whatever the, the, there, to me, has never been enough appreciation for Aubameyang since he arrived. And I understand, you know, he arrived in a January window after we'd just gotten Lacazette, and it was Arson's last season, and it was kind of chaotic, and last season wasn't a great season, and he missed some big chances, and people remember those. But for me, he's the best player at the club. It's not close. We win when he scores. He scores big goals. He scores great goals. He, his movement is unparalleled. I thought he had some runs in this game that were just absolutely Extraordinary movement. He he could have had more goals. Sometimes the, the ball slipped away from him on a couple occasions, and and Mekatarian missed a few chances um where we were counterattacking. But I, I just thought he was brilliant and takes the goal so so brilliantly. There was also the one he took down with the outside of his right foot and swiveled on it and and blasted it in the keeper that I thought was really well done. I mean, do you get the sense that people are coming around to appreciating that Aubameyang is our all-conquering center forward now?
2: Slowly, slowly, yes. Um, I actually think uh, there was kind of, people were starting to turn on him maybe after the Spurs penalty miss um, last season, which, which I kind of get because that's, Gosh, you I know. I do
1: not like people. There,
2: <laughs> there, there, there are there a are few more emotive kind of moments than missing a stoppage time penalty away at Spurs. Um, you know, if, if anything's going to do you in, that's going to do you in. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we've spoken about this before, like that for some reason, there's this idea that, um, you know, players have to compete against each other for our affections. We can't just be happy to have two good players like they've got to they've got to be in competition and we've got to back one horse over the other and all of that. And, you know, I'd, I'd say Lacazette is still more popular. He, I mean, there was a, a new song uh, for him that, that might kind of explain a little bit. Um, why but it was still his name that was being sung while while he was warming up below us Um, but I do think at the end of last season and maybe like with that Valencia game for example and and getting the golden boot people had started to realize um, with the Bamiyang really in this game um, I I think with this game so this is exactly what top-class strikers do you know, they fighting on scraps, really. The team's a little bit undercooked, uh, missing quite a few players. Perhaps the creative side of the game's not quite there. It's the first game of the season. Nothing's really clicked yet. It's a fairly even kind of game, but he wins it for you with pretty much the only decent chance of the game for mm. either team. Um, you know, just absolutely expert center as soon as Maitland Niles has sensed the danger he's seen the opportunity he knows exactly what's going to unfold and to be fair I think Jamal LaSalle's, LaSalle's um, for Newcastle really does him a massive favor by going walk about for for reasons I can't quite get my head around and and kind of leaves him free but you know just that kind of yep yeah, i I stay on side. No need for me to run ahead of the defender here. I've I've got everything sized up. I know I know exactly how the ball's coming in. I know exactly what I'm going to do with it. Um, and and it's just that moment of quality in front of goal that you know players like that just and we we haven't had that since since Van Persie, I don't think. And I was you know I was looking at you you look at Chelsea and Man United kicking off later in the day and Chelsea are playing Tammy Abraham up front and then bringing on Giroud and Man United kind of bang really really have thrown their lot in with Marcus Rashford and just thinking you know we, we, we're we like we've got an embarrassment of riches here um, mm. up front we've we you know in in terms of the top six you know obviously you look at like Aguero and Gabriel Jesus and that's that's incredible and Liverpool everyone knows about their front three but you know in terms of centre forwards after years of really really struggling to figure out this position because we didn't have a top class option there we've solved that problem like you know you he's he's it's Aguero Kane Aubameyang those are the names that roll off your tongue in terms of you know the best strikers in the Premier League and it's because like you say they're the ones that are decisive that win you games exactly like Harry Kane did for Spurs on Saturday I watched that game he barely kicked the fucking ball he was you know again a little bit undercooked basically invisible for most of the game but once the ball broke to him in the 85th minute, bang, that's it, game one, and that's that's what that level of player does for you. And if you know Arsenal talking about getting to the next level and getting back into the top four, how how many years did like someone like Van Persie do that for us? Just just by dint of having a striker like that, you know, you can cover a lot of ills
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, basically. And you know, this this wasn't a great performance. I wasn't you know by the whole team i wasn't expecting it to be lots of players missing you know everyone's a bit undercooked on the first game of the season it's all about just getting through it and getting the result and when you've got a striker like that you're much more likely to get the result
1: he's the fucking balls he's so good he, I, there's five teams in the world maybe that wouldn't start him at center forward if he was on their team and i'm not even sure there's that many i, I think he is he is the the thing that makes us different from the other teams competing for those top four positions other than Liverpool and and uh, City. And, and I, I guess you could say Kane, although I think Kane could be in trouble with the ankle situation. We'll see. But, you know, Clive always says it. How does he make you feel? And when I saw that lineup, I had a bit of nervousness. Of course I did. First of all, it's me. I'm just nervous. That's why my friends call me Whiskers. But, like, when you... By the way, if you want to look that up, that's a Saturday Night Live thing. But the... The way he makes you feel is you see that lineup, and you see names like Nelson and Willock and Maitland-Niles and Chambers, and you still have that thought in your head where you're like, no, Aubameyang will get a goal. He'll find a way. We'll score. He just makes you feel so confident that you're going to get a goal, that there's going to be a winner in it for you, because he's so superior, and I'm I'm so excited to watch him this season because... He he was ripping it up in preseason. I see nothing to suggest that that isn't representative of the way he's tuned up for this season. I think when guys like Pepe, who can create more space, get out there, when maybe Ozil plays a little bit, when you know when we have a little bit more preparation under our belt and those final balls are a little sharper, he's just going to devastate defenses this season. I can't wait to see it. We'll wrap up with a talk about some of the subs who got on. And Paul... I want to quickly talk about Ceballos. I thought it was a really, really interesting cameo for him because he comes onto the pitch and in the first five minutes he basically gave the ball away four times, including the cardinal sin of a square ball right across his midfield in his own half uh, that he lived to tell the, the tale of. Then I thought he started to wake up and start to find the pockets of space and dart and drive a little bit. But it was a little uneven for him in that respect. I mean, did you get a sense that maybe the 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 moment was just a bit much for him when he came on and then he settled in? How how do you feel about the... I think, fair to say, sort of uneven uneven substitute appearance for him.
3: Yeah, look, um, his first few minutes, um, I, I actually liked it because uh, his passes were shit, but he came out all guns blazing. So he knows... <laughs> That's it, the spin what I, mean? I was
1: looking for. <laughs>
3: yeah, I mean, right from the get-go, and like uh, there was that square ball that nearly totally fucked us. And uh, he's like, oh, fuck it. That's your problem. And he just kept going the the rest of the game for uh, the 20 minutes or so he was on with Sabalas style football. I mean, we had a debate uh, a few days ago about whether he plays risky passes or not. And I think he plays quite risky passes the whole time. He doesn't always go for the knockout punch. He's not the guy putting in the assists or streaking into the box. But he he played in an absolute Sabalos kind of way where he, uh, I mean, he kind of came on as the attacking midfielder, but he dropped right deep, picked up the ball, uh, got us going upfield, kicked off a breakaway, then kind of settled into that area just to the left of their penalty box where kind of Ramsey style, he's connecting passes with other people, trying to get other people going into the box. And always quicker, quicker tempo, quicker passing, uh, tricks, flicks, kind of calculated risks, um, and I, I love watching it. I think it's exciting. I think, y- in a way, he did for us what Mikitarian was trying to do but wasn't pulling off. Mkhitaryan's more aggressive in going into the box and trying to get on the end of shots, etc. But Sabalas, I thought, uh, I was pretty excited about his 20 minutes because he looked like a hope he'd look and he he didn't back off you know you screw up the first two or three things in your first game uh in shitty weather when you're used to the beautiful blue skies of spain and you come to our preseason and seemed like we were able to match that promise the next thing you're up there with playing against Almirón, who looks like an amphibian uh in about two feet of water and um you you said about their attack being toothless. He's not supposed to have any teeth. He's an amphibian. And, um, it's, you It's know, come off the he, rails, Paul. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And <laughs> about is just... He's just straight in there doing his thing. I thought it was great. I thought Martinelli, uh, similarly, had fewer minutes, but he did Martinelli stuff and went straight forward. So So kind of yeah. to... To uh, Clive's point earlier, I think this was, a, although not the most enjoyable performance, I think the individual elements elements of it can all be construed pretty pro- positively for hmm. what we're looking for from these players.
1: I got two more things before we say goodbye. One, Clive, is one that I was really excited to talk to you about, and that is Pepe, because look... All right, he doesn't come on and like the world on fire. He had one really, really good drop of the shoulder that left a guy for dead down the the right wing. He had another uh, strong dribble in our own half of the right wing, protecting the ball where he got a foul call. Where if they if the ref plays on, we're we're off and running the other way. Um, but the thing that I thought was most interesting about his appearance was. He spent a lot of time in central spaces playing as center forward, and he and Obamyang switched quite a bit. And I wonder if Emery's looking at this and saying, we're going to have a fluid front three, and that when it's Pepe, Lacazette, and Aubameyang, they're going to kind of flip-flop and sort it out, and sometimes it'll be chalk on the boots for Pepe dribbling by people, and sometimes it'll be running off the shoulder of the last defender. He made a couple really, really good last shoulder runs. One that Obamyang tried to pick out, but it got cut out by a defender. The other, uh, on a counter-attack, Aubameyang was on the right wing and floated one... To Pepe who was center of the box, but he didn't get it over the defender do you do you see based on a very 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 small sample size of the 20 minutes he played that potentially he's going to get some chances to play through the middle and and flip around with the other forwards?
0: Uh, Absolutely. I I think what's really exciting, I think Aubameyang has improved on build-up play. When he first came, I felt when he used to receive the ball back to goal, I used to worry worry about him. I I I don't think he liked it. I think he was concerned about the physicality. But now he's much more comfortable receiving the ball back to goal. So that's not a problem where he plays. He can go back to goal, he can receive it wide, he can go straight down the middle. Done. We know Lacazette can do this. We know that he can peel into wide areas. Inverted shots on the left-hand side. We know he goals like against Cardiff on the right-hand side of the box No problems. there. physically strong again for Pepe. He can receive it back to goal He can drive inside he can run through lines He can receive it standing still, but he's probably the best dribble of the three just on a straight dribble So now you have three forwards with all-round ability Why would you stand in the same place? absolutely not you just rotate you run out of space run into it and cross over it's going to be so exciting to see how they coexist together Got no no idea how it's going to happen we've all got a a sort of a little bit of a view if you write a team sheet down in possession lacazette as a nine and a half and the other two on the uh, either side they won't stay there we know that i'd like to see them higher Maybe not. It, it doesn't matter. As long as you've got the all round ability to do everything, which I think these three have. Lacazette may not be the top end speed of the other two, but he can do things the others can't do on pressing and recovery tackles, etc. Just like Firmino does for uh, Liverpool. So, mate. Just listen, Just enjoy the journey. It's going to be exciting mm. to see how often the three are deployed together, how they coexist. If that's the first sign on positional freedom that Pepe was given from that side, that's really encouraging. Yeah. And um, that means he's been, he's been asked to do this. If you feel it, go. Just go into those areas. And when the others get to recognize and see those runs, room for some fun, aren't we? Can't
1: yeah. We. Yeah, the only thing I would say – from his debut, and again, such a small sample size. this is not a judgment. just a a quick observation is just he mm-hmm. did walk back a few times, and there was <laughs> one situation where his man just ran right by him, and Maitland Niles had to defend two guys in the box um and did a really nice job of it, actually. But, you know, that that's the kind of thing that Emery is definitely going to drill out of him. So I'm not, not too worried about that. I'm going to leave it with you, Tim, on an issue that I'm loathe to bring it up because it does feel like kicking a guy when he's down now, but I think it's worth a mention. Um, Mm. This wound up being a very professional-focused performance. The thing I loved about it is we seemed switched on for 90 minutes in the rain away, defended well, had good resolve. I'm not saying Newcastle was good. I'm not saying they tested us. But by and large, there was real commitment and professionalism to seeing out the result. Um, Mustafi was not in the team. He was left out entirely, and I think we are trying to shift him, obviously. But, you know, do you think that the reality is that there are certain players that have been in this squad that have been prone to doing things that take these kinds of games away from us and that it's time mm. for us to separate ourselves? And and the most obvious version of that is Mustafi and that the fact that he wasn't in there is sort of telling, that on a day when the weather was against us and the result was hard-fought and we had to show uh, concentration and commitment for 90 minutes the guy who so often cost us those games wasn't there I mean is it fair to say that moving away from him is is a part of getting these kind of results on a more regular basis
2: yeah I think so and it's clear that the club have made their mind up on this now and and now we're getting into you know it's clear they've been willing to sell him all summer whether they haven't had the offers or he hasn't had the desire to go um now they're basically moving into that space where they're just making things uncomfortable for him um to try and make him go it's it's kind of an an unseemly side i guess of football but it it kind of happens the other way
1: it happens the other way players do it to teams you know we saw it with kishelny right i mean
2: yep yep and if he'd been playing out of his skin for the last two years you know he'd be asking for a contract so yeah exactly but i mean look they're they're trying to push him out aren't they basically they made it public now emery said i've told him a couple of times and you know not including him in the 18 that's and, and it's you know we we had louise on the bench we didn't have another defender um so that that's a kind of look you are absolutely not a part of the plans anymore um and and you know for and if I'm kind of wary about saying this because it I I kind of feel like it it's me or it's something that we all say to try and make ourselves feel better on you know the kind of the human side of just utterly rejecting a player who you know for his faults he's never he's never done anything you know disrespectful to the club or anything like that um as far as i know um always gives his best and everything like that and so when i say something like oh it's best for him to move on now i i wonder if like a part of that is me just alleviating my guilt i guess guilt <laughs> yeah yeah for just being like you're rubbish and i don't want you at my club um it's in it's in your best best interest you know it's it's not it's not you it's me Tim, if you're if you're bad
1: at making the French fries at McDonald's, you need to move on. Like, there's nothing wrong (laughs) with thinking a multi multi millionaire professional footballer who has made a very good living off the club while not playing very well needs to move on. Like, I don't think that makes you a monster. You know, threatening him, trolling him, adding him on Twitter to tell him he's shit. You know that? Yeah. That okay. That makes you a monster. Well, maybe not a monster, but you know what, a cunt. But like,
2: no, wanting him to go because he's not good does not make you a monster. Yeah no 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 it doesn't and um and and look he's he's lost he lost his place in the germany team quite a while ago before the last world cup so it's not like you know the, the world is kind of noticing um you know and and look he's played in germany he's played in italy he's played in spain he's got like a rounded kind of education um in in terms of football and you know surely that means he can he can go anywhere, really, because uh, that gives him a lot of options. And um, it's weird, isn't it? Because there was that story two years ago about um, how, you know, his, his family weren't really settled here and it looked like he might go. Um, I can only imagine things settled down there. But, yeah, I, I think at this stage you really have to say, look, from our point of view, from Arsenal's, yes, we absolutely have to move on from him ASAP and try and get some money for him if we can, Um you know, I really hope. I, I suspect he might go on loan or something, which I really wouldn't like. Um, I think it's time for a clean break. But I, I mean, he must be looking at this and thinking, right? I lost my place in my international team over a year ago. Now I'm now not even getting in the 18. I'm behind Callum Chambers. I'm definitely behind Rob Holding. I'm definitely behind David Louise. Like, you know, the writing's on the wall here. So yes, I can ride this out for another year because my contract's nice, but then next year I'm just going to have the same problem and it's going to be even more difficult to get a good contract at my next club because I've not been playing and I've been ostracised and my reputation is even more damaged. Like, I think sometimes you've got to take the long view and think, okay, I might go to Monaco or something and I might get might not get paid quite as much, but if I wait another year, I'm not going to get, it's not going to be Monaco knocking with like, you know, 70 grand a week. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be less than that. So, and, and he's not, you know, he's still in his twenties. He's, he basically, he can rescue his top level career, um, at this stage. But I I don't think he can do that at Arsenal at this stage. And it's just in everybody's interests. If, if he moves on, um, he's included.
1: As a famous singer and podcast host once said, he will survive. Um... Yeah, I totally agree with everything you just said. And and hopefully he agrees because it ultimately will depend on whether he does. So let's leave it there. I, I have to move on from you guys because uh, Scott is chomping at the bit to give us 15 minutes of the data that matters uh, and invalidates everything we've said in this segment. So uh, remember, coming up for patrons midweek is our uh, match spotlight, Ainsley Maitland-Niles. That should be Wednesday. And uh, really excited to do that. There'll be video associated with it, data associated with it, obviously the podcast itself. So if you'd like to sign up, we would love that. There's a fantasy league going on there. There's the Discord chat has been so much fun on Match Day it was just crazy crazy fun uh, people contributing so much there so if you'd like to join that'd be great if you don't want to join don't do it no big deal we love having you here we're going to do lots of pods here and we're going to do lots of YouTube stuff and all kinds of stuff so thank you so much we'll take a break we'll come back with Scott but first I'm going to say goodbye to Paul he's on Twitter at Pause my pants thanks Paws.
4: Woohoo.
1: Uh, Clive's on Twitter at P A F C. thanks Clive
0: thank you very much
1: Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto thanks Tim
0: my pleasure as always
1: take a break come back with Scott stay with us Okay, we're back. And now we have saved the best for last. As they say, uh, we have done it. Scott is here. You can find me on Twitter. o underscore that underscore crab. Hello, Scott. Yeah. Yeehaw! Yeehaw, indeed. Hey, just before we get into the data, we won. Are you happy? Did you enjoy your,
4: the, the start of the season? Yeah, very much so. You know, I got up early. You know, so I actually probably kind of cut it a little bit close, only getting up five minutes before kickoff. So I was scrambling to get the coffee poured and, you know, the TV all set up and ready to go. But yeah, it was fun yeah to win we're going the, the game wasn't you know super fun but it was fun to win
1: it's funny because i i often have to you know cut it close to make it to the tv and then you know i'll tell that to tim and he's like well i had to take a train to a bus to another train and the good news is he's he's going to be posting some of his pictures and videos this season of the trip to the stadium and the time in the stadium on patreon so i will be able to see what it's like to have to make that journey while being in my pajamas on my couch so that's good um let's dive into this thing the uh, the stats first, and the the one that we always lead with. I know not everybody loves them, but it's, it's a good way to evaluate chances in a game. What was the XG for this one, buddy?
4: Yeah, so this one was a, a pretty good one. So Arsenal ended up, um, let's see, let me pull it up. I had it on the, a different screen here. Uh, it was 1.09 to 0.6 in my Wait, model. To point what? 0.6? 0.6. So okay. Arsenal won to about a half a goal.
1: So obviously 1 isn't phenomenal, but... It's the point six that interests me. Last season, we weren't putting up those kind of defensive numbers. Would would that have been one of our better defensive away performances last season?
4: It certainly would have been. Yeah. So, and one of the things too is that Arsenal really stopped attacking after they got the goal. There was a couple of kind of dangerous opportunities where they were looking to to counter, um, but it, you know they kind of sat back and held things while they after they got the goal, and I think it actually worked out pretty well. I don't I don't ever really felt that I was you know that Newcastle was going to score. After Arsenal did it all felt pretty good. I think, you know, there was maybe a, a you know, a phase somewhere in that first half where Newcastle were, were a little bit threatening. But other than that, you know, maybe the the Ceballos giveaway, that was the only time that yeah. I kind of got a little nervous. But other than that, you know, yeah, Arsenal did pretty well holding on to the, the lead. It,
1: it, it helps when you have zero expected Mustafis. Uh, so we had zero expected Mustafis on the day, which was good. So... Let's talk shots for a second. I mean, we know we need to get more shots. We know we need to concede fewer shots. We accomplished one of those things. Shots for shots against, how do you feel about that? We didn't take many, but we didn't concede many.
4: Yeah. And, you know, so the other thing, too, is that, you know, so Arsenal did still do the thing where they looked for good shots instead of trying to do, you know, kind of the, you know, speculative shot kind of taking. So Arsenal probably had three good chances in the match so there was the the first one to Mikatarian, and then two that fell to a yang. um and you know thankfully they were efficient with their chances so i mean if you're gonna you know look for shots you're gonna want to look for higher quality yeah. ones so overall that's at least something yeah um i had you know uh, a yang with a 0.2 um xg per shot for his you know four shots today so so 20 chances are pretty really good,
1: good. He, he finished what with about 0.7 ish something like that for the game
4: I had him at just under one. I think it was oh, wow. like 0.95. That's fantastic. That's I mean,
1: j- just to put that in perspective for people who are new to this stuff, if you're a 1XG per game, per 90 player, you're the best in Europe or right there behind like the likes of Messi and Ronaldo who don't count because they break models. But, all right, so as far as the, the shot suppression, Newcastle never really threatened us based on the eye test, but based on the data, that's pretty much held up as well, right?
4: Yeah, I think they had one... Yeah, they had one kind of decent chance, but other than that, there really wasn't too much. I think they might have had a couple of dangerous situations that they didn't quite get shots on. I think there was one where they kind of had a, was it off a set play, where there was one that kind of bounced around in the box, but then Leno was able to to grab it, but they never really kind of got a shot on it. But other than that, I think it was, yeah, a well-played defensive game. I I was actually pretty surprised by that, You um, you know, Chambers and Socrates did well. Um, I think that, you know, Xhaka and, uh, Gwendouzi did pretty well shielding the back four. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of lot to complain about when, you know, you get a clean sheet and it's a pretty well-earned clean sheet.
1: Yeah. I, I think overall the, the attack will liven up too. I mean, you look at who was playing out there and obviously we, we were far from full strength. So as far as the individual players, offensive value added XG chain XG, all that, who, who were the stars for Arsenal in terms of the, the attack?
4: Um, So uh, Aubameyang led in my offensive value added. Um, Surprisingly, um, second was Nacho Monreal. Um, Then we had uh, Reese Nelson actually came up really well. Um, He was third. Then Ainsley Mayton-Niles. So there was a a good kind of mixture all around. Um, So on the offensive value added, I had a a 1.19 for Arsenal. And then, let's see, Newcastle was uh, 0.6. So pretty well matching the XG,
1: and I'm guessing one of the reasons Nacho came off looking pretty good is he did have the the little square, but or not square. It was kind of a cut back to Mkhitaryan. Yeah, the one, for the one bombing, that he yeah.
4: well, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, Mkhitaryan. It was
1: a Mkhitaryan yep. blast over right with his yeah. left, and that that was a really did, good. Yeah, chance. that was a really
4: well Yeah, yeah, and he was in his overall passing was was quite was quite good. Didn't have a lot of giveaways on there. So and yeah, you know, he had good freedom to actually carry the ball down the you know. The
1: yeah. Anyone on your inside as well, anyone that you look at that maybe statistically speaking, I'm not asking for your opinion of their performance, just statistically, when you look at it um, just from a a strictly statistical standpoint, is there anyone that when you look at it, you say, you know what, they, they were sort of disappointing. I'm not particularly happy with what I'm seeing from them statistically.
4: Um, You know, I I don't want to beat up on him, but I didn't think Joe Willick had as good of a game as some people were saying. Interesting. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I felt that he really had, you know, troubles getting involved in the game. I think his touches overall was about, you know, he had less than 20, I believe. I don't have it in front of me, but he didn't really get a ton of the ball. Um, It was definitely another game where a lot of Arsenal's buildup went out to the wings and we kind of bypassed that central middle third um, and final third section. So I think that was one that, uh, you know, in, in preseason he played a little bit deeper and he was definitely able to get more into the game. Um, and then Mikatarian always has his hit and miss kind of thing. And so he was kind of a, a bit of a disappointment. But yeah, those are the two that really kind of stick out to me.
1: When you try to analyze someone like Mikatarian, he had something like 15 giveaways, which is astonishing, but also a couple of good balls into to Obamiang behind, plus the really good shot. I'm curious, when you look at something like XG chain or, or offensive value added for Mikatarian, who. Everybody who watched knows he struggled. He struggled to control the ball. He struggled to complete passes. I think he was one of our lower passing percentage guys in the game, along with Willick, actually, ironically. But he also did things that probably look pretty decent on something like XG chain or offensive value added. So does the data maybe overemphasize the quality of his game, or can you see the, that he got things wrong? I mean, if I only had a spreadsheet to look at and hadn't watched the game, would I come off thinking McChairn was maybe better than he was or, or no?
4: Um, I mean, I think you'd probably see that he came out to be about a zero. So, and that's really what the model gives him. Um, his passing was a negative. His shooting was a positive, based on his, you know, one really good chance that he was able to find himself in. Um, his ball carrying was about a zero. I mean, he, you know, gave the ball away, but he completed a few, you know, decent carries of the ball. So that kind of broke out to a zero. All in all, he's about a zero overall. He gave some. He, you know, took some.
1: And it's sort of interesting, right? Because that sums up the problem with Mkhitaryan. He's going to get the simple things wrong. He's going to be sloppy. But he's going to do things carrying the ball or getting shots or playing a final ball that you really need in a team. It's just you wish you could cut out the sloppiness because especially when you're defensively vulnerable, you just can't afford to be handing the opposition those, those chances to attack you like that. So I guess pretty interesting to look at who the good players were, who the weaker players were, but maybe not super surprising that it comes out to be basically what the eye test tells you. So then, as we move on a little bit, I mean, just in terms of your opinion, because I I don't just want to restrict this to the data, and it's early in the season, and, and you can jump to a lot of conclusions just looking at data specifically, but were were there any players on the pitch that for you really stood out that were the, the stars of the game for you?
4: Um, you know, I, I really do go back to Aubameyang. So on a game when Arsenal really were kind of kind of searching for offensive players, he was the one guy that was there and was making plays. He had four shots, which is half of Arsenal's total. Um, And that's actually probably above kind of what his, you know, average per 90 would be. So he kind of stepped up, took some shots. Most of them were, were good shots. All of them were inside of the box. He had a few of them that were a little bit wider, but overall really good shots. Um, So that was something that's a really big positive for me. I know he's had a really, really impressive preseason. Um, so it's nice to see him being able to continue that going into the season. Um, and I think that, you know, Newcastle was basically able to key on him the entire time. So they had their five defenders and it was basically just him up there by himself. And, you know, him still being able to do that, find the space with his movement was very impressive. Um, and I can imagine, you know, what it's going to be like when he has Pepe out there, when he has Lacazette, when he has Ozil, and he's just going to be able to hopefully be able to take that to the next level, or at least just make it a little bit easier for him where, you know, the defense isn't able to key on him and try to shut him down. So I think that was a a huge positive.
1: As far as just let's, let's look beyond Arsenal just a little bit. You, um, in preseason, we talked to you about your model that predicts where teams are going to finish. And we talked about what the model takes into account, what the model doesn't take into account. Um, so we understand that it has limitations, but it did sort of like Chelsea. I think it liked them to be top four. Have you updated? I know it's one game, but every week you usually put out top four chances, you know, where everybody can finish your whole table matrix. Have you looked at it yet? And is Chelsea already taking a beating for the beating they took or not yet?
4: Um, so I imagine they'll they'll get a little bit of a ding in their rating, but, you know, it's again, it's just one match, so... Um, it's so it typically it, it weights things. So about after about 10 matches, that's going to be equal to, you know, what we had last season. Um, so this will be a one tenth of that waiting. Um, and then as the season goes on, the the current season will take even more you know importance. Um, so that will probably skew it a little bit, but I don't imagine it's going to be a huge, um, you know, dent to them. I guess, you know, kind of thinking about it there, the expected points that they were, you know, they were expected to get out of the match was probably closer to 1.3, 1.6. So not getting those points will hurt them um, in the model's eyes. So that will probably see them go down. Um, so that's definitely a good thing for Arsenal. Um, Manchester United looked pretty good. I disagree. Um, overall, the, their counterattacking, I thought, was was pretty good. But also is that because Chelsea's defense was bad maybe David Louise was was the answer to that that defense and made it work Zuma was just a dumpster fire I mean
1: that game was fun for me because what I saw was a Manchester United team that has basically no midfield and not a lot of good defensive pressure I mean you can sit in their final third unpressured and just pick passes which Chelsea didn't have the end product to do because their team's not particularly effective going forward and it also made me happy because Chelsea just Look like shit. They're, and granted, Rüdiger will come back and and replace Zuma, I would imagine. But their defense looked terrible. Zuma was a dumpster fire. They handed them a few goals. Pogba is a cheat code, and he he can he can really change the complexion of a game. But outside of that, I saw two pretty yeah, mediocre with, teams.
4: Yeah, yeah, not non impressed with Pereira or McTominay. Neither of those were especially good for me. And you know, uh, I guess you know they're better than Fred, and definitely better than Matic, So. Not exactly confidence inspiring.
1: Yeah, and Juan Bissaka, look, he did all right defensively, but like everybody's going to do all right defensively against Chelsea. He he's, he gave nothing going forward too, which is encouraging because I think in the modern NFL, if you can't NFL, did I say that? Wow, where did that
4: come from? Wrong sport. In Wrong the modern sport.
1: Premier League, it's funny. Someone literally just texted me while we were. I stick to stick to well, football, I guess. It's all football. There you go. It works in the in the modern Premier League. If you can't attack. Using your fullbacks to support the attack, you're really limited. That's a really important part of, of the modern Premier League because it's just harder and harder and harder to to pick teams apart right through the middle. So I think Juan Bisaka maybe not being an effective attacker is, is going to limit United as well. Look, I know they got four goals, and they, they beat Chelsea com- confidently and comfortably, so saying that they didn't look great is a little weird, but for me, I, I did not see anything to be super encouraged about for either of those teams, really.
4: Exactly. Yeah. I think that I had that one a lot closer than what the final score line ended up being. Let me see if I still have it um, up here for what I had the actual score line. No, I I closed that earlier so I could prepare for this. Um, What a mistake. But yeah, never prepare. I know. Mm -hmm. I (laughs) Um, I don't think I had it. I think I had it closer to about three to one and a half or something like that. So Chelsea, you know, not scoring was probably, you know, unfortunate and, you know, four goals, including a penalty is you know a little bit high so without that penalty it's probably closer to 2.2 to 1.5 so a, a, a rather close match instead of one that's rather lopsided
1: i cannot wait for a week of united getting uh, pumped up by the pundits only for them to lose at wolves next monday on monday night football
4: so that should be fun yeah that'll be fun yeah yep.
1: well let's leave it there we've got a long season a lot of data to dig into and we're going to be having you on wednesday on the patreon pod for the match spotlight of maitland isle so we'll we'll save it for that scott's on twitter oh underscore that underscore crab thanks scott yeah yeah indeed. great to talk to you man new season you excited you feeling good off off the schneid one win and uh on we go onward and upward
4: yeah i think we're, we're looking good for you know reaching the goals and maintaining the top four
1: I'll take it. I'll take it. My name is Alex Smith, you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about pretty much me. I mean, why not? You've been doing it anyway, so why not continue with a good thing? But I'm excited. As I said earlier in the pod, we're so happy to have you with us for another season. We love you. We are um, we're looking forward to what should hopefully be, I think, a fun season. I'm going to stay optimistic for now. We're one game in. Why not? We won a game. So... Yeah, I, I think it's going to be good. And and the, the best part about it is we still haven't seen some of the players we're most fired up to, to watch. So there's a lot to be encouraged about. But we'll leave it there. A lot more to come. Can't wait to talk to you next time. We will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Burnley nil.